2 Corinthians 13.10. We're up to week four of our five-week parenting series. Wanda Morgan is going to be bringing us home next week with the, the last part of this. Um, but today, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 13, verse 10, the story is told, a story about Queen Victoria. Uh, one time she and her husband, Prince Albert, early in their marriage had a fight. And Albert walked out of the room. He went to his room in their private quarters. And Queen Victoria followed him, found his door locked, and began pounding on it. Who's there, Albert asked. The Queen of England, she barked, <laughs> and he refused to unlock the door. She continued pounding, but then after a minute, the pounding stopped, and there was a pause, and then there was the sound of gentle knocking. Who's there, Albert asked again. The Queen replied, your wife, Albert, and Albert opened the door immediately. Today, we're going to talk about authority and how authority works in Christ's kingdom for those of us who follow Jesus and how that authority relates to parenting. Because while the incident between Victoria and Albert was in their marriage, the question we face in parenting that relates is, how do we get our children to open the door of their hearts to us? Well, for input and direction from God's word on this topic of parenting, we're, we, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians, the, the Apostle Paul's first letter that we have to the followers of Jesus in a city called Corinth, the Greek city. And today I'm going to cheat just a little bit, and we're going to look at the next letter that we have that Paul wrote, the second letter of Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 13, 10. Again, here's what it says. This is why I write these things, Paul says, while I am absent that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in the use of my authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Did you hear that? Paul acknowledges that as a Christian leader, God has given Paul authority. But then he quickly adds, the authority the Lord gave me is for building you up, not for tearing you down. I'll tell you what, I have done a, a study of authority in the New Testament, and that is the only kind of authority anyone in Jesus' kingdom is given. Authority to build others up. The late theologian Stanley Grantz put it this way, talking about power. Power, according to the scripture, is to be used by those who possess it for the benefit of those who do not. The only authority the New Testament recognizes is authority to build others up. As soon as we who have authority are doing something else with that authority, we are stepping outside of the rightful use of our authority. That's true for church leaders. It's true in marriage. It's true in parenting. So let me ask you, what are some other ways and reasons that those in authority might be tempted to use their authority? Well, here's an obvious one, and I forgot to give you the notes, so I'll, I'll cue you through. So if we could go to the first slide. We might use our authority, we might be tempted to use it to get what we want, to get things our way. 
How many times have you been talking to someone about the problems in the world or in our country or in your workplace or in your church? And you said, if I was in charge, I would do X, fill in the blank, right? If I were in charge, we wouldn't sing those kinds of songs in church. If I was in charge, that policy at work would be different. If I was in charge of this country, I would change that law or make everyone do this thing differently. It's oh so tempting to use authority to get what we want and to make things our way. To make all the stupid people do things the right way, our way, right? <laughs> well, maybe we think we're doing it for everyone's good, but here's the reality. This has been time-tested through the ages of history. Power corrupts, as they say, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So too often when you're in power, you start to lose perspective on the difference between what's really good for others and what you're telling yourself is for their good, but is really just the way you want things to be. In a little bit, we'll apply this to parenting, but, but uh, here's, in the meantime, the second way, if we go to the next slide, you might be tempted to use your authority. To make others behave. To make others do what we want. In church, maybe to get them to give more money. Or to get them to volunteer for the ministries. Or to get them to show up for the services or to get them to stop doing the big obvious sins that make us all feel awkward and uncomfortable. And we as Christians leaders have all sorts of really holy reasons that people should do these things or should not do these things. But if you dig deep enough, often it's really because if we have a bigger budget, if we have big, bigger attendance and more programs and a nice clean cut church people, we as leaders feel really good. And we can brag about how well our church is doing, and it feeds our ego. Also, whether I'm a supervisor at work, or I'm a church leader, or I'm a parent, if all of those under me behave and comply and do what I think they should do, my job is a lot easier, right? And that makes me feel good. And I can feel secure as a leader. I don't have to deal with all my yucky feelings of insecurity and inadequacy if everyone is behaving and towing the line. And so I might be tempted to, to use my authority as a parent or as a leader to make people behave whether they want to or not, but it's really for my benefit more than it is for theirs. Have any of you been in a workplace or in a church where this is what the leader's motivation was and you could tell? Third, next slide. As a leader, I may be tempted to use my authority to ensure my own success. And as you can see, a lot of these temptations are interrelated. Maybe as a leader, I need very much to feel successful. Maybe my father told me I was a bum and would never amount to much. Maybe my parents never noticed me. And deep inside, I think, if I can just be a success, I'll prove that I'm someone. Or maybe I think if I'm a success, I'll, I'll have a bigger salary or I'll have more job security or more respect from my colleagues. 
And so I use my authority to ensure my success. And again, I can wrap it up in lots of holy language about how I'm building God's kingdom and doing his work. Or if I'm in business, it, it, I, can, I can wrap it up in language about how it's good for the company and for the stockholders that they expect it. And maybe they do. But the bottom line is I'm using my authority to make myself successful. Fourth temptation. Next slide. I may be tempted to use my authority to keep others in their place so they don't mess with or interfere with my ego, my agenda, my plans. Again, this is interrelated to the others. For a leader, it's really tempting to use my authority to keep others in their place, to stifle dissent, to keep other agendas off the table because of my ego, because of my ambition, because of my insecurity, or, or whatever it is within me. For any of these reasons, and, and for others, I may be tempted to use my authority to keep others at bay who, who threaten me. And so for all of these reasons and others, power corrupts. And that's why Jesus, whom we follow, refused to use authority in these ways, didn't he? And chose the way of a servant and the way of a cross instead. And he told his followers that we must do the same. And the Apostle Paul had learned this well. And so... Paul understands that in Jesus' kingdom, there's only one proper use of authority, and that's to build others up, to benefit others, to encourage others to grow spiritually and to mature in their faith. At CBC, for me as, as your pastor and for our elders and for our ministry support team, that's the only real authority we have, authority to build you up spiritually. And so what does this have to do with parenting? Everything. Because as parents, God has given us authority over our children. It's right in the Ten Commandments. God tells children, honor your father and mother. And among other things, that means obey your father and mother, respect their authority. So the Bible gives us as parents authority. Why? so we can build up our children. Not so that we can have an easy life. Not so our children will be seen and not heard. Not so that they won't make too much noise or make too many messes or won't ever embarrass us or make us feel like we're out of control. No, we have authority for one reason, to build them up. So they mature. So they grow to be healthy and whole human beings who love God and who follow Jesus. Because children are immature. <laughs> they don't have experience yet. They don't have wisdom yet. They're selfish little buggers, aren't they? <laughs> so God knows someone more mature than them needs to be in charge. <laughs> Their parents and caregivers need to be in charge. But our job isn't to use our authority for our own agenda or purposes. No, we're to use our authority for our kids' benefit to help them grow up. So how do we do this? Well, to do it well, there are, there are 
uh, two very tempting parenting styles that, that we have to avoid. Um, these are two ditches on either side of the road, and we need to stay out of these ditches. And that's why I've titled the sermon Balance in Parenting. Here's the first ditch, authoritarian parenting. This is controlling, dominating parenting. Authority without relationship. Where children are expected to obey unquestioningly because I said so. When I was a kid, we had family friends, and the dad parented this way. He was a big guy. He was a bodybuilder. He uh, had a very domineering personality. And so he'd say things like this with his deep commanding voice. At the snap of my fingers, everyone will close their mouths and give me their attention. He was like a drill sergeant without much nurture, without much relationship with his kids. He was in charge. He was the boss. And everyone better do what he said. My parents, when we would go to visit, felt like they better do what he said. He was such a commanding personality. But this is not the kind of authority that the Bible gives parents or any Christian leader. Well, the other ditch, the opposite extreme in parenting, if we could go to the next slide, is permissive or laissez-faire parenting. This is where, as parents, we want to be friends with our kids. We want to respect them and not stifle them, so much so that we abdicate our authority as parents. So this kind of parenting is all relationship without any authority. We let our kids do what they want. We don't set boundaries or guidelines. We don't have expectations, and we don't enforce expectations. So we find ourselves pleading with our kids. Oh, Lucy, don't do that. That's not nice. Please stop, Lucy, please. And Lucy just ignores us because Lucy knows that we never back it up with any consequences, so Lucy can do whatever she wants. That's parenting with no authority. So those are two extremes. And uh, by the way, I learned these uh, in my teacher training in Educational Psychology 101. So they relate to, to teaching kids as well. But the third type of parenting, the healthy kind, is what psychologists call authoritative parenting. This has both authority and relationship. And so this is the kind of authority that can build kids up. We parents have authority and exercise authority. Teachers have authority and exercise authority, but we also value and nurture the relationship with our kids and, and we know our kids well. And so the authority we have, we're able to use to build up our kids for their own good. So practically speaking, how do we balance this? How do we balance relationship and authority in order to parents, in order to lead children in a way that builds them up? For those of you who are parents, how do we both, how do we embrace both the authority God has given us and also limit its use to try to build our children up in the right ways? Let me offer um, seven suggestions and we'll go to the next slide. The, the, the first one is a reminder of what we saw last Sunday. We need to connect before we expect. We need to keep strengthening our relationship with our kids. I don't know about you, but as a parent, too often I find myself fussing at my kids from across the room. 
instead of calmly drawing close to my kids, looking them in the face and softly telling them what I need them to do or to stop doing. We need to get better at connecting. I need to get better at connecting before I expect. Second and related to this, we need to try not to discipline when we're angry. I learned this one from my parents' example, but I didn't realize at the time how hard it is to do. <laughs> it's so tempting when we're angry to tell our kids off, to fuss at them, to put them in their place, to mete out punishments. It feels good, and they deserve it for what they just did. We're angry. But when we're angry, often we're not using our authority for the good of our kids. We're using it to vent. We're using it to pay back. We're using it to get even. So we might over-discipline. And while our kids might comply out of fear, we might get what we want. We're not reaching their hearts. And so it's better if we can to, to take the time we need to collect ourselves, you know, go to your room. I will be in in a few minutes. <laughs> To, if we can, to collect ourselves, to calm down, and to think and pray it over, and figure out how can I best address this with my kids in a way that will ultimately build them up and help them to mature. Third suggestion, next slide. These are easy, Tony, you don't even need me to tell you. Um, when you're arguing with your kids, don't play the God card when you're arguing with them. Um, don't quote scripture at your ki kids when you're fighting with them. Or for that matter, in any conflict in marriage or whatever, it's not the right time to marshal God to your side to win the arguments. I have seen spouses do this. In fact, when Ann and I first got married, I did it. Um, I've seen parents do this too. They're, they're arguing, and to win the argument, they come up with a Bible verse or with a holy rationale as to why they're right and the other person is wrong. It's like laying down the ultimate trump card to win the round. It's letting God be the heavy, getting God on our side so we can win and so we can make the other person lose. That's not what God is for. That's not what God's word is for. And that's not what authority is for. Authority isn't to win. It's to build others up. And if you take that authority, you take God's authority, and you use it to win the argument, guess what? People resent it. And they will start to re resent your God. Because it feels to them like your God is there to make them feel small and powerless and oppressed. Like God is just a club that you use to whack them with. There's a place for scripture, obviously. And yes, in a Christian family, we want God to be a part of everything we do. But the middle of an argument is not the time or the place to try to use God's word to enforce your authority. Fourth suggestion, set clear boundaries and expectations for your kids with clear reasons when possible. So for example, uh, we have a rule for our older kids 
no screen time after 10 p.m. And we have a clear reason why. Because screen glare negatively affects sleep. It makes it harder to fall asleep. So we don't just say, put your device away because I said so. No, we talk to our teens about the research and, and how the blue light of screens affects our sleep. And so we need to turn off our screens an hour before bedtime. Then uh, fifth thing, next, set a logical consequence to go with the boundary. For example, if you use your phone after 10 p.m., I'm going to take it away after dinner tomorrow night so you won't be tempted again. As opposed to, if you use your phone after 10 p.m., you're grounded, which is kind of random and unrelated. Now, I realize it's not always easy, especially with younger kids, to come up with a consequence that's logical. You can't always do it. Um, it's, it's not always easy to connect um, the behavior with what they're doing wrong and what the consequence is. But the, the point is to at least try where we can um, so our kids feel more respected. Also, sometimes with older kids, we can ask our kids what they think an appropriate consequence would be. Okay, you, you weren't supposed to use your phone after 10, but you sneaked your phone and you were watching YouTube videos in bed and I caught you. What do you think is an appropriate consequence? Now, if they own that what they did is wrong, they, they may own the consequence and they might see it as logical. Sometimes they won't engage and they'll just suggest something stupid, some non-consequence. Um, <laughs> so it depends on your relationship with your child and sometimes the mood they're in. But when possible, choose consequences that your kids see as logical. Then next, sixth, this is a big one. Don't set a boundary or an expectation you're not willing or able to enforce. If you know anything about kids, you know that they are going to test you. This is especially true if they don't know you well, like if you're a new teacher or a new babysitter. But kids test parents, too, about new things especially. They want to know if you're really going to follow through. And, and so if you tell your kids, finish your vegetables or no dessert, and they won't eat their vegetables, and then dessert time comes, and everyone else is enjoying a bowl of ice cream, and they're sitting there pouting all puppy dog-eyed, because they're the only one with no ice cream. And if you know you're probably going to give in at that point and give them ice cream because you feel bad for them, then don't set that expectation in the first place. Do you know why? Because whenever you set a boundary or an expectation, your kids are learning whether you mean it and whether they should really listen. And what they learn is... Um, Uh, sorry, um, if you don't follow through, kids are smart. They learn quickly. And what they learn if you don't follow through is he doesn't really mean it. She doesn't really mean it. It's optional. Actually, I can do what I want. What kids are looking at isn't so much the words we say or the threats we make, but what our actions actually are, what we do, and what we actually follow through on. And so if you know honestly that you're not willing or in a specific situation, you're not able to follow through on a consequence, then don't set that boundary or that expectation. And then seventh suggestion, finally, after you discipline, when the consequence is over, 
reaffirm your love for your kids, reconnect with them if and when they're willing. When I was a kid, my parents spanked us, and whether spanking is still a good way to discipline is a big topic that we're not going to get into right now, but this is how my parents disciplined, and when I was little, I got spanked a, a good bit, and there were tears. Um, there was sometimes wailing, but what my parents did that was so beautiful was after it was done, they'd sit me on their lap, they would hug me, they would comfort me, and they'd let me know that they still loved me and that it was over now, and that I was forgiven, they restored the relationship. They reconnected with me so that we could move ahead positively together. Because the goal of healthy parenting is authoritative parenting. It's parenting with authority, yes, but also parenting that maintains a strong relationship, all with the goal of building up our kids so that they can mature and develop character. And if, if, if we can do that, then we will hopefully being, be using our authority to, to build up our kids so that they become people who are mature, people who have character, people who are more like Jesus. Now, here's the good news in all of this. We don't have to do all of this perfectly. None of us do. We've all had, those of us who are parents have had bad parenting moments where we messed up, we lost our temper, we said things we shouldn't have said, we, we handled things poorly. And, and so part of maintaining our relationship with our kids is that sometimes we've got to apologize. Ann and I have had to apologize to our kids many, many times. Now, some parents are afraid to apologize because they think somehow it takes away from their authority as parents. Well, if you're an authoritarian parent, maybe it does. If you expect unquestioning obedience to your every command at the snap of your fingers because you said so, then maybe apologizing or even admitting that you're ever wrong would ruin your perfect facade. But that's not anything close to the kind of parenting or kind of authority that God gives us as parents, which is authority to build up our children. And building up our children requires a relationship. And um, you, you, you having a strong relationship requires lots of apologizing and lots of forgiveness because we're all faulty, broken people. And we've got to, as a result, mend relationships when we mess them up. And you can apologize and still be the one in authority. So as we close, if you're a parent or you're a teacher or you're a caregiver, I want to invite you to close your eyes for a second and, and to hear this. God has given you a big responsibility to build up the kids under your care so they grow and mature to be more like Jesus. And God has given you authority for that task receive that authority and ask God to help you use it wisely and lovingly in the context of relationship to help nurture and build up those kids. Let's pray.